settling and settle, come into wherever you are, come into attention, alignment. So I have a question here, dependent origination. And this question, the written piece has dependent origination in one, ignorance with an arrow, two, pointing to two volitional formations, which is an arrow pointing to three, consciousness, which has an arrow pointing to four, materiality and mentality, or name and form. Please help (laughs) explain how one, that's ignorance, conditions two volitional formations, and two volitional formations conditions three, consciousness, and how with the condition of three, consciousness, four arises. That is materiality and mentality, name and form. Okay, so ignorance, the Pali is avijja, obscurity, obscuration, not quite in touch with reality, with clarity. So there's a certain veil, misting over, lack of really full clarity. Volitional formation, sankara. This word, which comes up, probably come up a few times in this discourse, is many times actually in the Buddha's teaching. It's uh, you know, volitional formations is one phrase, but of course, it's not a very catchy term. The word sun, something making uh, together, kara making, making together, forming up. There's an energy there. And uh, three bases of sankara, jitta sankara, movement of the heart, and that movement is called karma. Movement of the body, kaya sankara, that's the breathing of the life force. And movement of articulation, the ability to bring up a thought and hold a thought and play with a thought and construct thoughts. That's called Vajji Sankara. So these all require a certain energy to keep them going. The Kaya Sankara, the condition for that is the life force itself generating that. But it's certainly moderated and affected by Jitta Sankara, the karmic imprint, that is about breathing, our energy is slightly twisted or restricted because of what's occurred in the past and dependent on that um, that affects our mental state if you're anxious or panicky or flowing or rich or open or slightly constricted so these interact oh here's so in this sankara here refers primarily to the citta sankara so this is certain the karmic um, movements, the, the sense of volition to it. Consciousness, vijnana, word means a differentiated kind of knowing. 
it's a clumsy phrase, but that perhaps captures it. Consciousness is a very um, people refer to different things with consciousness. Sometimes people think it's just the sense of awareness is consciousness. One is conscious, one is aware. This is chitta. Um, consciousness in this thing is vijnana, which is differentiated. Jnana, a knowing which is vi, differentiated, separates, and it generates the experience of subject and object. Mm. So actually there's the seeing, the seeing arises, the experience of a scene, an object, and then a seer, someone who sees it. The seer is not the eyeball, it's something else, it's um, a notional sense, a reference. It manifests as a, or it's experienced or interpreted as a distinct entity, but clearly Without seeing, there can't be a seer. Right? <laughs> so that is dependently arisen on quality of consciousness. Now, this other term, namarupa, name and form, or shape, uh, sh- knowing, or designations, naming, um, and form. So here the persons use the common interpretation that. Nama as, as mentality and Rupa as, ment- as materiality. Again, you know, these are not easy, they're very simple words in Pali. Nama means name, Rupa means shape, name and shape, name and form. But when we put that in our minds, it doesn't seem to mean very much. But it really means there's, there's some kind of object, and then there's various ways of apprehending that. Um, designating it pleasant, unpleasant familiar, unfamiliar, hostile, friendly those designations feeling is a designation pleasant, unpleasant Um, hostile, friendly delicious, hideous those are perceptions they're immediate flash interpretations Mm. those are two aspects of Nama there are other aspects of Nama. One is attention. That is, before anything can be designated, one has to get attention, has to go to it. That's a factor. So, you know, thing doesn't exist until you give it attention. So that is a that is a contributory condition, which form, which is a designation in consciousness. You may think, well, no, it's obviously there. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. When you open your eyes, what do you see? see the Buddha, you see me, do you see the microphone, do you see the flowers, do you see the thermos flask, do you see the pieces of paper, do you see the grain of the wood, do you see the gloss, um, do you see the wire, do you see the cable, do you see the chair behind the Buddha. All of those, you don't see them all. You flash from one to the other, dependent on your interest. So at certain times of the day, I'm sure that chair next to the Buddha does not exist for you, because there's no interest in it. Is it there or is it not there? It arises dependent upon attention. So attention seeks and focuses on that. You might notice my face, but not my hands. 
So that's then. Then we say, well, that's that's then. But that which has become, you know, the, the object of attention is the thing. We don't realize that thing has been concocted by attention. What grips us? What interests us? So another quality of that is um, chetana, certain intentionality that seeks the interesting, the useful, the purposeful, the beautiful, the significant, the the hideous. You know, it it seeks something that will give it a charge, something that will get some resonance. That resonance is called contact. So lots of things you scan around. It happens very quickly. You You know, fans, you don't notice those. You know, Wall don't notice that, and then you know, person, oh, you notice that, or the Buddha, or me, because it's interest in that. Yeah. So that's the the, the chitana. So that's another factor. Chitana, or volition, manasikara, uh, attention, contact, pasa, perception, vedana, and uh, perception, sanya, and Feeling, Vedana. These are all contributory in their, in this summed up in this word name, Nama. Rupa means anything that can stand as an object, visual object normally, but also even men- mental object, something that occupies a space, occupies a space of awareness, presents itself as a, an entity, a form, a, a discernible. Clearly, they can't have any designation without something to designate. Right? You know, we can't get interested in the floor unless there's something there. Yeah? And that that placing there can be done is done by consciousness. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so the this is so not to get overwhelm you with bits and pieces, but. Um, with this particular dependent origination, there are certain perhaps misconceptions. One is that it's a this causes that, this causes that, this causes that, like it's a circle. That's a very often described as a circle. This causes that, this causes that, this causes that. This, and so it's got one, then two, then three. It's not true. It's not never presented that way in, by the Buddha, because it isn't actually uh, accurate. It's a model. But this actually is much more fluid and dynamic than that. And the Buddha's interest in in presenting any kind of maps is for the purpose of liberation and the understanding of suffering. So, and really with this he's contemplating the sankata dukkha, the dukkha that is generated through ignorance is a primary condition. Something is not realized, something is not seen. Therefore, there's a snagging, uh, you know, and then an attaching and a searching and an agitation and becoming agitated and so forth. Mm. And this is quite a, this is a web and a weave of the the experience of citta. This is citta's story. Yeah. So as we you know, open our awareness, we can sort of any in that state of openness. It could be a sound arises. It could be a thought. It could be a thought about something that 
seems to derive from years ago, that can pop in. I mean, nothing related to this room you know, suddenly pops in. A plan of where you're going pops in. Where did that one come from? Suddenly a, a sensation in your body jumps in. It's just, what's the, you know, is there some kind of linear progression or is it rather almost chaotic? There's just stuff keeps popping up. <laughs> yeah. No, this, so that's a multi-dimensional because it can pop up seemingly from the past, seemingly to do with the future, seemingly from someone else, seemingly from this place or another place. And this projection into time and place is one of the primary ignorances. And it has not understood, it has not seen, it has not really comprehended. Which should become obvious in some ways is that, you know, the mind concocts the past and the future. And it's concocting the present, something we don't necessarily choose to do it, it's bubbling with that. It imagines space somewhere else. Now, where are we? We're in that field of this bubbling, activated field of jitta, which is generating these perceptual forms, forms that are very definite, forms that waver, forms that tremble, forms that, you know, are attractive or repugnant or stirring or identified with, rejected. It's just pulsating with that. And there's no sense of, really in that, there's no time and no space. Instead you have this, the basic matrix of this is, is um, Vijnana Nama Rupa. And so in some places where the Buddha presented this, he didn't mention Avijja or Sankara. He said the basis is Vijnana Nama Rupa. Um, so we could say this is the existential basis yeah. and that existential basis is that we are, that there's the arising of the sense consciousness vijnana sense consciousness is designating sights, sounds you know, and, and modalities and choosing and selecting and being activated and choosing and selecting and doing all this this is the the existence, the life form, these are the forms that are arising. Yeah. And so when the Buddha is contemplating that Vijnana Nama Rupa experience, you know, why is this so lively? You know? Why is it always bubbling away? And seemingly in some ways not going anywhere, really. You know, in in essence it's just bubbling up with different forms. Isn't it? So, when you when you, right? <laughs> does that does that go anywhere? You know that that web. Does it does it go anywhere? Does it? Uh, hmm? It's producing impressions of going somewhere, and impressions of having been somewhere, and impressions of you know, desirable and undesirable. But that web itself doesn't go anywhere, it just pulsates. 
This is Vijnana Nama Rupa. It's pulsating, you could say. Pulsating. You know, that pulsations, these various sundry phenomena arise. And so the Buddha's recognizing this pulsation of phenomena is a condition for the arising of dukkha. Because it's projecting desirables, undesirables. It's projecting knowns and unknowns. It's projecting, you know, painful memories and happy memories. And so all this is going to cause some pressure and stress and more bubbling to go on. And he contemplated this quality, this, this ongoing bubbling of it. This is the samsara. It just bubbles away. Does it go? Doesn't go anywhere. It just keeps bubbling. <laughs> and is this is this is this necessary? <laughs> you know, since it's never achieving anything finally satisfactory, and seemingly one is beset by this, and in this, and involved with it, and deeply affected by it. So witnessing this, you know, then what is the cause and condition for all this movement? Something's not been, there's an activation there. This is the activation called Sankara. Something is keeping it bubbling. It's the activation of the heart, of the chitta. The activated chitta is, is, is keeping this thing arising, keeping it bubbling up. Yeah, and, and of course, this is something that really only a Buddha or an awakened being knows because they've seen also the stopping of it, which most of beings haven't seen. Because they've seen the stopping of it, they've seen the arising of it. Yeah. If you haven't seen the stopping of it, you only notice whether it's going fast or slow. You don't really... <laughs> Right, and whether it's painful or unpain or pleasant, it's like if you're in an elevator, you don't notice you're moving till you know doors open, maybe <laughs> or somewhere else. So in that, one is not aware of it really arising. It seems to be because uh, we oh, just this happened to me. I was just here, and this popped in to me, and this flashed into me, yeah. I was just sitting here and then all this stuff happened. There's the, there's the, you know, the consciousness presents this impression of there being a substantial permanent being who things happen to. Yeah. But that apparently substantial person, you can't find where she is, who, who he is. You, you know, you, you can't make them so substantial that they, they're rock solid, they're always kind of moving on. And things keep penetrating them. So how solid is that? And instead, so he's saying, this is, this is complete impermanence, just flexing of, of, of conditions, which generate the experience of a being in this web, but it's just this web pulsating away. And the Buddha, through his penetrative insight and practice, was able to not, take issue with who or why or what just go right to the source of the bubbling and say you know this could be reviewed understood seen and seen where it can be 
you know, put to rest, stilling of sankara. This is through really the clarity to to not believe in these conjuring tricks. You know, to not be see them as as solid as they may seem to be. Now, so that's that's the role of of ijar is is that it makes that which is permanent in, makes that which is impermanent permanent, makes that which is not self self and presents the possibility of a satisfactory conclusion when there isn't one. So that promise of the satisfactory conclusion keeps us moving keeps the thing moving on towards that conclusion which doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, so these these are the, the three the, you know, fundamental parts of not not seeing, not being clear about. And the origin of dukkha is not understood. So, because of that, then these uh, this keeps us. This is, keeps the activations going to arrive, to make, to solidify, to you know something that can't be made. So it keeps going. That's the sankara, and this informs the process of consciousness. Yeah. And primarily what it does is it, 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 the primary thing it informs is you are separate from that. You are here and that's out there. I'm in here, you're out there. Hmm. Well, yeah, of course. No, really? Who's in here? And out there, how far out there? You know? So here we just see images appear in the eyes and we infer, oh that's three meters, ten feet. I don't think so. Really, I just see an image that's occupying so much, so so big, so big amount of my visual field. (laughs) And the rest of it's inference. And actually if I change the focus, you know, your knee could occupy 90% of my visual field. So... Where's the distance? <laughs> right, that's due to attention, isn't it? This is the, you know, the condition arising of phenomena. Right? You say another example: you're sitting in this room and say, "Oh, wow, the sound of the birds is really prob- problematic." Say, what birds? I didn't hear any birds. Birds? Birds? Yeah, I didn't hear all those birds chirping at door. I didn't hear any birds. It's the air conditioning really bothers me. Yeah, I couldn't hear any air conditioning. You know, it's condition arising, isn't it? Something for some unknown reason or unknown sensitivity, something attracts our attention, and then this is resonance with it. And it's it's uh, it's only when you share space and you recognize, well, he didn't see that, she didn't feel that, um, everybody saw that. No, they didn't. That you begin, wow, this apparent real world out there is very, very subjective. So the out there doesn't finally exist, does it? As As a real thing. It's somehow established through consciousness. 
It's like, you know, so is consciousness out there? Or in here. <laughs> if we if we just didn't bother with the designation out there in here, me and it, we'd just be aware of the seeing, the forms, the movements, the attention, the interest, the poignant the then we say this is this is the karmic field. Something definitely knowable. The knowable is this is this is there's a sense of something moving, something attracting, something that causes struggle, something that causes delight. Yeah, that's happening. So that's Nama Rupa. Actually as it is. Okay. So how does ignorance condition volitional formation? Well, through not recognizing that these there's a volition to yeah form something to form a purpose, an object, yeah something to form jitter moves out or runs arises to apprehend something and it arises and it moves into sight sound tactile, conceptual sense fields you know, to find a base because it, it it's searching for a base so there's the that's the you know, why is it ignorant? because the only base there is is the chitta itself <laughs> you know it's like um, you know like maybe projecting images on a screen and we're running out onto the screen trying to find out where we are. And we project a picture on a screen of, of a landscape. And we look, where am I in that? Well, no, you're the one who's projecting it. You can't find yourself on that because you're the one who's projecting it, right? So the jitter doesn't know that. This is called ignorance. It assumes there is, you know, some sense field that, that I belong to, I can get onto. I could find this, I could establish on. I mean, clearly I'm trying to use metaphorical language. And the only thing it can establish itself on really is itself. Because that's the only thing that's that's, that's, that's there <laughs> in, in that. Yeah, The rest of it is just very dependently bubbling away and generated. And so the jitter is trying to establish itself on what a really rather phantasmagorical phenomena that have no ground. They seem to have ground because they hurt and they delight. But that is part of the whole, you know, magic show. So that's ignorance, volitional formations, jitter rising up. And so it rises up and it activates the sense consciousness. Now you might think, well, no, sense consciousness is always there. Really? Well, what happens when you go to sleep? And maybe if a loud noise, your hearing arises. Soft noise, your hearing doesn't arise. Right? So we actually we take each consciousness base 
and notice that uh, um, it arises through activation. If I'm watching a movie and I'm really interested in that, the quality of body consciousness is very, is not there. Yeah? Or very minimally there. Only, maybe only a thumb and a finger which have got their hand on the console. <laughs> Ears have gone, you know. Knees have gone. Backside's gone. It's just fingers and eyes. So the arising of body consciousness, what happened to that? Where did that go? Where did your body go? Dependent on interest, wasn't it? Yeah. So these, in, in actuality, only certain aspects of sense consciousness arise. And there can be times when, um, you know, one is not, seeing is not arising. Hmm? Unless there's something to see, or some interest in seeing. Hmm? And particularly, specifically, um, most crucially, it's the mind consciousness, which most people, most of us will find is just never stops. Uh, you know, even in your sleep, some pumping out dreams and images and so forth. So you think, this is really the me, this mind consciousness, because it's always there. Yeah, but we notice how how it's never there as an entity. It's always a quality that's passing, changing. You say, well, okay, your mind consciousness is there, is it? Is it pleasant? Well, sometimes unpleasant. You know, sometimes um, clear. Sometimes unclear. Sometimes um, rational. Sometimes irrational. Sometimes. Well, what is this mind consciousness? Um, <laughs> uh, it's um, <laughs> you know then you know, it's just really only defined by what it what it's by what it what's happening to it. What is the mind consciousness with nothing happening to it? The undesignated, when there's no differentiation and designations occurring. And then this, um, so this is where the, the volitional formation entering into the base of mind consciousness, you know, or there's no volitional formation entering into the base of mind consciousness, there's no arising of phenomena. What kind of mind is that? How do you know it? Without a perception. So we say that in, in you know there can be the the unbinding of mind, where you know it can't be named or designated or defined or touched or reached or considered because it there's nothing to define it by. This is the mind gone out. Um, and so there's no past and no future and no entity and no self and no other and that's uh, sublimely peaceful. So with the stilling of Sankara, the consciousness, mind consciousness can 
cease. The ceasing still can be experienced in a quality of peace, nibbana. But with the arising of Thankara, there is the activation of consciousness. The activation of consciousness is the forming, the designations. There's something to be seen, thought, conceived of. And there's all the activations, the the nama that keep filling in the details of agreeable, disagreeable, me, you, you know, all that happening. That's how it gets conditioned. With the ceasing or the laying or or abandoning of ignorance, then the mental act, the activations have no reason, if you like, or no impulse to arise. There's the stilling of consciousness. Uh, Consciousness, nama breaks up, consciousness ceases. It doesn't mean we be dead, it means the activated differentiating process is turned off. And this, uh, when it, so this is another kind of consciousness that's occasionally mentioned called the vijnana, the trackless consciousness or the undifferentiated consciousness that has no surface. In other words, it has no edge of that's landing on me because it, it doesn't do nama. <laughs> so, you know, and this uh, is... Uh, yeah, this that's that. <laughs> so that's how those arise. I hope that gives you something to ponder. And so the sense, the you know, the activated consciousness must always um, be conascent with name and form. It's not the generally. It's conascent with it. With the arising of consciousness, is arising because there's a form to arise onto, and to be as it as it arises onto rupa. In order to apprehend what rupa means, it's generating nama. There's no rupa, then consciousness seeks another rupa. <laughs> yeah. So there's nothing to eat, nothing to taste, then we the conscious goes into thinking or tasting or something or, or smelling or you know. It seeks rupa and there to get the designations going. And this is this kind of a rather almost addictive process of the jitta trying to find something to latch on to to give it a sense of stability and comfort. But it doesn't find it. And the Buddha is saying, well, you know, this is not an easy process, but with realizing just the discomfort of that seeking, discomfort of it, and turning turning it down, we begin to realize a quality, there's awareness, yeah, and awareness can be of the experience of seeing, experience of thinking, experience of touching, there's awareness of that. And you can even feel these contractions occurring as it as consciousness sankara's trying to find something and they make calming, steadying, and the realization there's nothing really to 
finally get hold of. So this process both of calm and insight begins to inform the citta. And it's also informing it, remember yourself. Remember yourself. So then there's the, um, the arising of clarity, the arising of, and the Buddha described it in several ways, vijja, panya, Chaku, yeah. aloka, which means uh, vijja, clarity, chaku, seeing, panya, discernment, aloko, illumination, um, and the abolishing of ignorance. And then there's the abolishing of the basis of stress. That's the arising and the ceasing. What is a skillful way to deal with boredom at work? (laughs) Get a new job? (laughs) Well, you know, I think with very work is kind of boredom, really. Play is always interesting. But as I said, the work model is, is... I'm not saying you can't go out and make a living in it or like that, uh, you know, or do things. But the quality, the very, uh, the automatic goal orientation has a deadening effect on, on the wet, on the mind. So it gets tedious. So you know, I think certainly in my experience, you know, I try to always return to service. As, as rather than work service and you know I'm, I'm in a privileged position when I feel you know that service is something I can I can do straight from the heart um, say other people not don't have that privilege really but then you consider well actually I'm doing this in order to sustain myself so that I can you know practice or penetrate Dharma, if I don't do this, then, you know, it's going to be difficult. So we have a sense, even we begin to really get a sense of what our our motivations are, and then we stay alert to that, and we're making sure that what we're doing is in line with that, and what we're doing, we're doing with some kind of integrity, and we're maintaining sati within that, and we're cultivating patience, or truthfulness, or kindness within that, then that, that experience becomes more, you know, um, intimate and involving. And if that, if that, the, any of those aren't possible, then one should really start to reconsider um, how to sustain your life. Questions on body meditation. In terms of the energy system, when a strong dominant field is buzzing and playing around the head region, 
is it better to encourage it to use the rest of the body as a playground or leave it be? I don't want to microwave my head. (laughs) When the torso starts to gently sway and the cranium starts to tick-tock like a pendulum of a grandfather clock, keeping time with the breath, should I let this too be? The feel of the body unrestrained to a degree is pretty delicious. These two situations are not huge concerns, just curious. So energy has to be handled because it's, you know, it's not ethically good or bad, but it can be used in those ways. And it's also, um, you know, it's like, as energy is, you know, it moves around a lot. And we need to hold it, be mindful of that and hold it carefully proper containers and proper channels so if these kind of phenomena are occurring then one needs to address balance and channels rather than let, let it be because it's, it's not something that one should be responsible about Even though sometimes it's pleasant to let it be, you know, moving around, but then there's a loss of sati of mindfulness. Where you really want you, this is an important thing to be mindful of. And mindfulness is not a desperate clinging; it's a careful handling. And thinking, this is not, you know, you know, this is not grounding the body. This is separating my head from the rest of my body. This is not appropriate. This is a whole body thing. So if that's happening, I need to withdraw and find the ground. You know, literally, sometimes physically the ground, the legs, the feet, on the back, the spine. And then we need to connect, sooner or later, you know, that ground to any area that's seemingly just drifting around or flicking around. So the ground grounding principle then takes the energy and earths it. Rather like a, you know, uh, electrical current or a lightning rod which takes the current and grounds it. You don't want it splashing around all over the place. It can be very disorienting. And, uh, and wasting it. So containing... Yeah, and if you find that you find it difficult to contain it, you know, then you know if you can't contain it by just holding the body steady and feeling the ground, we need to connect, sensing where does it start to lose the connection because the the midline can have these um, dull patches or blocked places in it. We need to feel the the edge of that where that is, where I feel quite grounded. When I start to lose it get to that edge and begin to refer down. Down and then up and then down as if you're almost penciling in a line that's become um, lost. Body's lost it. And the head particularly because it is so habitually plugged in to thought and visual sense that it's head is often for people 
energetically disconnected from their bodies. So this is, you know, so that we need to establish that connection, this particular sense of connecting the eyes to the hand, so if the head hand is holding the head, you know, so anything that re-establishes that connection. And if you can't do that sitting still or standing still, then move around, walk, move the body around. As long as the, essentially you want to get the head and the, body, the rest of the body to be connected, move the body around, um, and so forth. Because if energy is not properly held, you can cause headaches and um, pain in the head and even dissociated mental states. You talk about death. So my child is my greatest teacher. I've heard you talking about it twice. It really moved something deep, mysterious, sad, satisfying and peaceful at the same time. Death. Death is something we only half know because we haven't we don't remember having died. Um most of us anyway. So we only half know it. We know it from the outside. Other people dying. And we know it as an idea of I, this, the known, will come to an end. The, that which can be controlled and directed will come to an end. The world of familiarity will come to an end. Hmm. And that's, you know, often disturbing, intriguing perhaps. What next? So this is the sign, one of the, called the four devadutas, the heavenly messages the Buddha refers to, messenger of of death, because uh, when we bear that in mind, it resets helps to reset the meaning of life. Since the known, the familiar, that which we can seemingly manage or organize comes to an end, and the sum, then what? Uh, Then, you know, there's death, what's birth? We came from somewhere which wasn't known, organized, managed, familiar. We arose into this, and then there's a passing away. What is all this then? Is there a, what's the basis in all this then? How solid is the familiar, the known, when we arose from the unknown and passed away into it? So when we recollect um, death, and it's recommended to recollect it regularly, it helps to reset in what's really important. What's really important in all this, in all this field of experience. 
since things are going to pass away, what's really important in all this? I mean, what's the, well, this is a good thing to to ask yourself. And then you do that regularly. It's a, like a cleaning, a house cleaning, because you think, oh, that's not what we'll with that. Uh, why get in fussed about that? You know, why get stuck in that? Why bother with that? Why hold grudges? You know, how, how do you want to... What's really valuable in your life? And death helps you to to remember that. So it's good to spend some time, perhaps at the end of the day, if you die tonight, what's been important? What's been meaningful? What's been valuable? Yeah. What would be your the door that you'd like to go out through? Clarity, gratitude, peacefulness, release, forgiveness. I mean, those are important. Don't want to go out kind of nagging or fault finding or <laughs> worrying about the buying a new refrigerator or something. <laughs> so it just helps to reset, clean, cleans things or cleans things out. And then it, it, we, re, I personally, you know, life is rather mysterious. Then, isn't it? That keeps us awake, attuned, and everything is arising, new, fresh. Who knows what's moving me? What's important? And so you begin to shape your life around value, and rather than any old stuff that comes tumbling in on you. That's helpful. And certainly, you know, also in terms of your other people, if you you look at other people and think, well, maybe I'll never see her again. What would be important to have said or done or anything? What would be important in that relationship if... You know, she walks out there and goes into a car accident or something. Would you feel, oh, I never, I should have, why, you know, what would be important there? So they're valuing the quality of relationship because it's so, seems so familiar, so much inevitable, so much, well, yeah, see you in a while. And it can, like that. So it just helps us to be, act, speak, integrity purpose, negotiating contact so we're, we're not leaving messes and in each other. And the, the purity, this really helps again. So death is a great, uh, as a reflection, is a great um, uh, tool, benefit. So let's pause there for today. Take whatever's been useful out of that.